We're going to be sharing that. But we turn to Philippians chapter 1. I was wondering how we were going to launch this message, actually. God knew all along. Philippians chapter 1, we continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. So far, we've had an in-depth study of chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and we've learned that this book is essentially a template for what it means to be members one of another. And last week, I shared verses 12 through 14. I meant to share verses 12 through 18, but at the last second, I had to, uh, I had to cut it off. There was just too much. It was so rich, the text last week. But today, verses 15 through 18, but picking up the context, it seems to be important to look beginning at verse 12 of chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, have resulted, rather, in the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds, my house arrest that I'm experiencing in Rome, my bonds in Christ are manifest, are made known in all the palace. The whole of Caesar's household, as it were, knows about it. And what's more, in every nook and cranny in Rome is, in essence, what it's saying there in verse 13. And many of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my bonds. They've grown in their boldness to speak the word without fear. And now we begin in verse 15 today. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached And in that I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Today, the message, motive matters, but it's truth that transforms. And the Apostle Paul says very much that in this passage. The first thing we see in this two-point outline, if you will, is haughtiness, which is humiliating. Folks, those who walk in pride, God is able to resist and does resist. And those who think they are something at the expense of others, putting down others, ultimately it comes back to roost um, in their own lives. And the Apostle Paul had those in the church at Rome who wanted, maybe leaders, probably they were leaders, maybe because Rome was huge. So there were house churches dotted around the city. And they, uh, they may have come together for a pastor's conference or the like, various leaders in the various churches there in Rome, and uh, uh, talked about what was going on with the great apostle to the Gentiles. Some thought they would add pain and suffering to him while he was under house arrest. However, those who did this, they did it from a spirit of haughtiness, it resulted in the humiliation of these people because Paul pointed them out. Oh, to be sure, he didn't point them out for vengeance. He pointed them out because the Spirit of God wanted the church at Rome, wanted the church at Philippi, wanted the church at Redbridge to know that this is not proper, to be 
stabbing one another to, uh, out of a motive uh, of jealousy, out of a motive of being strident. The message from both parties was the same. That is, the truth which transforms was being communicated by all of them. They were preaching Christ. Paul does not give any indication that they were preaching some heretical doctrine. In fact, if they were, he would have said what he told the uh, the Galatians. Anathema. There is judgment. This is heresy. This is damnable in how he corrected so many other local churches. But he didn't say that what they were communicating uh, was wrong. The content, he was talking about the motive of their hearts of some of them. Truth does transform. But folks... Why I say what I say, why I preach uh, uh, and bring the word to you. And you know, it's, it's a little bit, isn't it audacious for one person to stand before a group of people taking your time and effort and attention because I think I'm important or I have something to say? What audacity that is. Just dog slap me if I ever get like that, okay? It's not because of that. It's because the word will change lives. And I am utterly convinced of that to the degree that I can't even change myself. I can't even make myself holy. He must do it. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so I am the messenger boy, and I learn that more and more. Oh, oh, that I would have known it better 40 years ago. But that's the nature of growth, isn't it? You don't arrive in one day and and still haven't, still heading in that direction. But why I say what I say, why I act the way I act, matters to God to a huge degree. But he will bless truth, this text tells us. He blesses truth because, folks, it's only truth, biblical truth, which changes lives. You shall know the truth. It's the truth that shall set you free, not the preacher, uh, not your parents, not your spouse, None of those folks have the capacity to be liberating for your soul. But the truth of the Word of God does, and only the truth of the Word of God does. So here at Redbridge, we do and have always stood for biblical inerrancy, biblical authority, biblical truth. There's never been a day in the history of this church, to God be the glory, that we have ever said, thus saith the Lord, but maybe there's a, a new, this is a new day. And God understands that we're in a new society and a new, and we're in the enlightened age and on and on. No, no, never been that. If it was right 60 years ago, 58 years ago when we were planted, according to the word of God, if God said uh, 58 years ago, in the beginning, he created everything, we hold to that today. And if he said, this is the way of holiness then, it's still the way of holiness. And if he said he created the male and female then, we still hold to that. And if he said that he, and on and on and on, Thus saith the Lord, it is still good for us today in 21st century America. Truth transforms. But he's also interested in my heart. And motive does matter. So there are some who believe that this text teaches that they're comparing, it's being compared lost people and saved people. There are theologians who believe that the, the people who maligned, who, uh, who, gossip, who slandered the Apostle Paul were lost people. And to be sure, lost people can act this way. But folks, lo- a lost person belittling the Apostle Paul, trying to add insult to him, 
is not particularly noteworthy. Of course they're not going to uh, agree with him. Uh, of course the Christ deniers, the Bible haters, are not going to like what I say. We, we know that's the case. But how could anyone in the same family do that to those, to one another whom God loves? It is, this is a penetrating four verses that the Apostle Paul is bringing out. So these are not lost people. Uh, these are saved people doing They say, how do you know? Well, look at verse 14. Look at verse, four, verse 14. And many of the who? Brethren. Uh, and then verse 15, some indeed. Some of who? Some of the brethren. So it is, he didn't address false doctrine. So that's one indicator. He did call them brethren. That's the other indicator. These are saved, or presumably saved. We can't know anybody's heart. Presumably saved church members and very likely leaders. So no, it's not talking about lost people doing this. It's talking about people from within the church itself. What's more? Think about this. Think about this in your own life. If a co-worker, if a lost, ungodly, blaspheming co-worker one with whom you work regularly, slanders you, uh, um, says something about you, uh, ridicules you. Yeah, you feel that. You know that. But what if you wake up and your spouse is doing that and saying that to you every day? Now, that, that, that devastates you. You appreciate the difference? These are, these are brothers, maybe some of whom Paul had won to the Lord in, in a missionary trip. Or certainly the grandchildren of Paul, that is, those who won Paul, uh, Paul won to the Lord, these people then say uh, one uh, shared the gospel uh, with these others, and they were saved, if you follow that. And so these ought to have been very, Paul ought to have been very near and dear to them, and yet they were trying to make him hurt more. God help us as a church if we ever were to fall into such a such a, um, a a cancerous way as that. MacArthur wrote, "The pain runs very deep when one's ministry is slandered, misrepresented, and unjustly criticized by fellow preachers and teachers of the gospel." And folks, I am telling you, the temptation uh, when you go. And I've gone to so many, uh, it's almost as if I don't need to go anymore to conferences and pastors' meetings and, uh, and conventions and, uh, in 30, nearly 40 years of ministry. But it is not difficult at all to hear pastors talking about one another. And you can, you can see the green envy as it is being communicated. I'm sure I've been guilty of it. If, if I am, God will convict me. But it is alive and well in the American 21st century church. May he be glorified that it never have any foothold here. Amen? That we run one another down so as to somehow make ourselves look better. Those in the Roman church, they were teaching orthodox truth. But they were motivated to add anguish and insult to the Apostle Paul. How were they done? How did they do that? Well, first of all, they did it with the evil of envy. That's what it very clearly says there in verse 15, the first part of verse 15. They even did it. Uh, they preached Christ, but with envy and with strife. Even though the truth was pro proclaimed, 
uh, they were stirring up this envy, this intense desire for you not to be benefited. For this intense desire, um, maybe because of Paul's popularity. See, you got, you got to understand. Paul had just arrived in Rome uh, just before he wrote Philippians. And he'd been gone for a long time. And there were leaders from within the church who, uh, uh, they had their place. They had their following. Remember in Corinth, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. They had their factions and their cliques. And so the great apostle, the, the great missionary uh, of the, of the, the Medi- whole Mediterranean area that everyone knew, I mean, the whole world was turned upside down by the doctrine Paul was preaching. He blows into town. Wow, my position is threatened. I am going to make sure folks understand he is no good. He is a rotten egg. And they communicated that uh, to one and all. They wanted others to know that Paul's day, he was good for a while he lasted. uh, But obviously, there's something There's something rotten in Denmark or he wouldn't be in the fix that he's in. Let's just not worry about Paul. So they were envious. They also had the sin of strife, it says in verse 15. Truth was proclaimed and yet this spirit of strife was being agitated all the time. Folks, it is wrong to attack your brother or sister in Christ Now, of course, we can confront one another. We're called to confront one another when in sin, but to to attack, to malign, to go after one another. You're in the same family. What's more, you're a part of the same body. It's one lung attacking the other lung. The body's not going to do well when that happens, right? And yet, that was happening at Rome at that time. It's so easy to kick someone when he or she is down in the body of Christ. I remember when I was about a 10-year-old, the Chiefs had just uh, recently lost to the Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl I. I don't know what made me think of the Super Bowl all of a sudden right now. I don't know. And I I watched it uh, uh, as an eight or nine-year-old. And then we were about ready to head to Super Bowl IV. uh, And that was a, a different story when we won the day that day. But in between those two, I was addicted to football. Loved it. I mean, every waking moment. And then for years following. But we changed the rules. Uh, us 9 and 10, 11 and 12-year-old boys. We changed the rules. In that when you got tackled, whoever had the ball, you didn't just get tackled. We played, let's play a pile-on game. And so when, anybody, any, anybody identify with piling on and tackle football? You didn't just get tackled by one. The whole defensive team Piled on top. You had eight and nine boy bodies <laughs> on top of you. you. You were the last one. You know, you didn't want to be a ball hog in, under those, in those games. But if you got the ball, you got piled on. Man, it was not fun. Of course, everybody, we're laughing our heads off. Except for the guy who's under the pile. Well, that's what it was in Rome. Paul had got tackled and he's under house arrest. And let's just pile on and have fun doing it. Just stirring up strife to hurt a fellow believer. Why did they do it? Well, their influence was diluted, they thought. In fact, if you'll notice the word contention, some indeed uh, preach Christ even of envy and strife. 
and verse, uh, verse 16, the one preach Christ of contention. It means self-willed ambition. I'm looking to get ahead. Paul was known everywhere. He was going to stand before Caesar. He was the human author of half of the New Testament. And I need to get ahead because I can't let him take my place. Now, listen to this. Young people, teenagers, listen. Are you listening? You teenagers, who's listening? Raise your hand. If you're a pre- teenager or a preteen, but not just if you're a teen or pre- but if you're a preteen or teenager, who's listening? I don't see my grandson's hands up. There they are. Making someone else smaller does not and never will make you taller. It doesn't make you taller to put someone else down, to get someone in a headlock, to pile on. It doesn't make you smaller. It doesn't make you taller. It doesn't help you at all. It only hurts that one and diminishes the cause of Christ and damages your own testimony of walking for the Lord. Well, these folks at Rome were doing it. It'd be like if I were to pastor here, be on staff for 50 years. Could that happen? Well, I'm in my 36th year now. And uh, I've got uh, a lot of energy. I've got ants in my pants, so maybe until I'm 80. I don't know. We'll see. But if I was to be here on staff for 50 years, it, it happens. That kind of thing happens. And you were going to honor me for 50 years of faithful service on staff here. And a world-famous person walked in uninvited, unannounced, but everyone knew. We got a guy around, that's known around town. Patrick, somebody. If he were to walk in, uh, and it was my party, honoring me for 50 years. He's a Johnny-come-lately. There would be a temptation to feel like the glory is being diluted. Y'all with me? There'd be a temptation to have envy, to want to stir up something here. Uh, the Apostle Paul faced that, and he did not succumb to it. Thank the Lord. Because humility is honorable. Humility is honorable, and we see that at the end of verse 15, verses 17 and 18, he says, but some preach goodwill. And verse 17, some of love. They know that I'm here to defend, to give an answer apologetic of the gospel. So, what about all this problem we have? Well, whether it's for poor motives or good motives, Christ and the message which transforms is being communicated to the center of the world, the Roman Empire. And in this, what did he say at the end of verse 18? I'm not just tolerating it. I'm not just sucking it up. I'm rejoicing. Philippians is the book of rejoicing, even when my name is being slandered and misused and maligned, if it's being done for the cause of Christ. What humility. It was like Job and Job's friends accused him of evil in his suffering. So too, there were members, there were leaders in Rome taking jabs, taking stabs, at the great apostle to the Gentiles. What about humility? 
What does it actually look like in the local church? How does honorable humility play out? And how will it play out here in this church? Well, first of all, it believes the best in others. Many were doing this, but probably not most. Paul knew that there were believers in Rome who had his goodwill in mind, who were cheerleaders for him, grateful for him. And the word goodwill there, at the end of verse 15, if you'll notice, it says, but there were those who preached from goodwill. It's kind-hearted intention directed toward another. Kind-hearted, not going through the motions, not doing it because I have to do it, and certainly not doing it with a a, a spirit of malignity toward that person, but with a kind-hearted purpose toward that other one. They knew that Paul had given his life, the second half of his adult life, he got saved maybe in his 30s, for the evangelization of sinners and the edification of saints. They knew that. They were convinced of that. So they believed the best in him. Most did, I'm sure. They didn't have any difficulty believing the best in him. He is the one who helped birth them and helped groom them and grow them in the Lord. And he lived by the adage found in verse 21, which we'll get to next in chapter uh, 1 and verse 21. He says, the bottom line is, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So how could these slanderers be saying that? Well, they were filled with envy. They didn't want the apostle to steal their thunder. And so really, Paul personified Proverbs eighteen twelve: Before honor is humility. Seeing yourself for who you are, and seeing God for who he is, and seeing others for who they are precious in the eyes of the Lord. A part of your bo- the body you're in as well, and, and to stab them is stabbing the body in which you're a part. Doesn't make any sense to do that, does it? I'm so thankful. I don't know of any of that going on here. So in a sense, I'm uh, preaching to the choir. That is, you all are already uh, doing exactly. Just know, the enemy, enemy comes in seeking to kill, to destroy, to rob. <clears throat> And so just know he wants to do that. So it believes the best in others and it desires the best for others. Now I had, uh, I had commented earlier about, uh, I'll pick on Sierra. I'm bigger than she is. Uh, I don't know that I've ever, I, I, in fact I know I've never consciously been aware of any hint of show-off, performance, or uh, pretense as she's ministered in voice and violin. But I can't know her heart any more than you know my heart. But I believe the best and I desire the best for her, for Mark, for Deanna, for all of you. Truly, I actually do. And that's a God thing. That's not something that I would, in my flesh, I can't do that. But walking out in the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, I do. My Sunday school class this morning, we're going through surveying each Bible book. This morning was the book of Hosea. 
The book of Hosea is the broken heart of a husband, Hosea, who was married to Gomer, his wife, and she was the adulteress of all time. And Hosea represents, is illustrative of the heart of God. Gomer, the sinning people of Israel, his bride, his, uh, his wife. I, I just, I can't fathom the pain of such, uh, of such betrayal, of such being stabbed in marriage. I am blessed beyond measure for 43 years of collective marriage with two, two women that it's just been heaven on earth and bliss, but I understand that it's not always that way for everyone. Appreciate that that you've seen in other lives if you don't experience the anguish of that. That's what Paul must have been sensing. And yet there were those who believed and, the be- and desired the best for him. They didn't say, oh, you deserve it, you have it coming. No, no, not at all. They knew who he was. In fact, the heart of the Apostle Paul, the humility, um, we, we understand, we have to take this in understanding the theology, but Paul said to the Romans, these very same folks about whom he was writing to the Philippians, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience is bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm calling upon God, God the, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit to, to bear witness of what I'm saying is true, and it's this. I have great heaviness, continual sorrow in my heart for Israel, for you Jews of whom he was one. For I could wish, if it were even possible, that I, that I could wish that I would be accursed from Christ so that you would know him. That's how much love I have. That's how much I desire the best for you. That was the heart of the Apostle Paul, one who walked in humility. He didn't have a jealous bone in his body. His sole desire was that Christ would be magnified in his life. He really understood, I guess, uh, as much as anyone, decades earlier when John the Baptist said, he, Christ, must increase. I must decrease. I must become little in my own, of, of importance in my own eyes. Oh, uh, to be sure, uh, I'm a soul for whom Christ died, therefore, and I'm one uh, that he created. I'm created in his image. And we understand all the theology, but as far as being high and lifted up in my own heart and mind, I need to be small, and he needs to be made large. And to a great degree, the Apostle Paul lived that out. Warren Wiersbe wrote on this subject. He says, when you, when you have the single mind, this single mind, of it's all Christ, you look upon your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. You rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Now, I went into a second marriage. <clears throat> I can go five years ago. I could have gone into that marriage with a ball and chain of regrets and why me and this and that, regretting what he didn't do instead of rejoicing in what he will do. Amen? Amen? And Kathy's thankful that I went into it like that. (laughs) 
and, and that's, that's the appropriate, that's the God-honoring way to do that. And so if you have cancer, if you are down to your last dollar, if there's a relational issue, whatever it is that's coming at you, like Paul had plenty coming at him, I mean, he's facing, he's going to face Caesar. It just didn't go well for Christians in the first century, by the way, especially one as noteworthy as the Apostle Paul. Whatever is coming at you, you're either going to reject and complain and be bitter about the hand you've been dealt, or you're going to play the hand that you've been dealt because you're a child of God and you know he's all wise and all good and he's not out to hurt you and you'll play it well live by the truth of scripture which transforms knowing that your motive matters I close with this 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 compelling example and when a preacher says I close with this that could be 27 minutes It might be a long closing. (laughs) I love this this anecdote. Two of the great preachers of the 18th century, the mid-1700s, 1750, 60, 70, were George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley. In fact, they were the ones, the originators, the founders of the Methodist Church. Back in the day, very Bible-believing. By the way, uh, did you know that the United Methodist Church had just recently split? I'm so thankful for that. You say, what? Well, when a denomination uh, is heading down a path that you actually have to vote on whether or not you're going to marry and ordain and call to your church as a pastor, uh, men or women who are so-called married to the same gender, that ship has already left the harbor. And so they, uh, they have split, and uh, the conservative Bible-believing branch, which preaches the gospel, I've heard it live, I couldn't believe my ears, good stuff, called Global Methodist Church. And uh, anyway, these were the founders 250 years ago of just, just pre-Revolutionary uh, War. George Whitfield... Named after uh, Whitfield Academy, right? I was about ready to turn to Jill and Scott. And that, he named uh, Whitfield Academy here in town. Named after George Whitfield. He was a Calvinist. Everybody knew it. And John Wesley was an Arminian. And everyone knew it. And they didn't come to blows, but they certainly had their differences as brothers in Christ. Well, Whitfield died about 21 years before John Wesley died. And sometime after that, someone, it's reported that someone asked John Wesley if he expected to see Whitfield in heaven. And John Wesley came a quick comeback, no, I don't expect to see Whitfield in heaven, which didn't particularly surprise the, uh, the questioner because the questioner knew that they had their theological differences and all. Oh, so you don't believe... Whitfield was a converted man. He wasn't genuinely a believer. And Wesley about slapped the guy silly, I guess. He didn't literally do that. He said, you don't believe Whitfield was saved? And Wesley said, of course Whitfield was a converted man. But when I get to heaven, Whitfield is going to be so near the throne of God, 
I won't be able to see him from where I am. Genuine humility, seeing the best in one another in the body of Christ, believing and desiring the best for one another. No envy, no strife. Folks, we don't, we're not in competition in ministry with other Bible-believing churches. We're complementary, not competitive. And the Lord gave, I don't even know that we even need this message today, this moment, in this church. I don't know of a hint of any of this. Thank the Lord. But I also am realistic and rational enough to know that the temptation could come our way at any moment. Why did he get to sing the solo and I didn't? Why does she get to do this and I've got more experience and I've worked hard? You follow? I think I'll start showing everyone her true colors, and maybe their minds will change. I'll let everyone know what he said to me 17 years ago and how it's still gnawing at me. You see, truth does transform, biblical truth. It will. Why I do what I do, why I say what I say matters to God. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. What a powerful word. Just almost in passing, these four verses, almost parenthetical from the Apostle Paul, and yet it was happening. It was happening in Rome, and Paul knew by the Spirit that it could happen in Philippi, and he gave that warning to them. And Lord, you allowed this certainly to come back to the Romans who were guilty, must have been humiliating. It had to have been. That was your intention, that they would repent, seek Paul's forgiveness for this slander, and to walk together in unity. How can we be unkind to those you love? <laughs> that, that will uh, ring in my soul for some time now. And so, Lord, would you continue your good work here? Touch hearts, change lives. So only you can.